The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. Glad that you could join us and so glad to have the guest that we have today. We're going to be talking about a big topic, something that's really important. It's a huge goal on the horizon for a lot of businesses and a lot of communities, and it's called zero waste. And we're going to dig in deep to what that means, what a good working definition of zero waste is, and some really specific strategies that businesses, communities, and individuals can employ in order to move our our global society towards that ultimate goal. We're joined today by Leslie Lukash. She is the principal and a founder of L2 Environmental. You can check out their website by going to L, the number two, environmental.com. She's also been very involved in an international organization called the Zero Waste International Association, or ZWIA, and we're going to be referencing their website a lot too. So if you want to check that out, don't Close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on Voice America. Open a new tab in your web browser and go to www.zwia. That's zwia.org, and you can check it out as we talk to Leslie. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Leslie. Glad that you could join us. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's a pleasure, and I can't think of anybody I'd rather have talk about this because I have had the pleasure of recently seeing you present on this topic, and I just think um, it's going to be great for our listeners to learn from you. I'd like to start with a good working definition of the term zero waste. What exactly does that term mean, and is there a standard definition that's accepted worldwide? The Zero Waste International Alliance um, does have a peer-to-peer review definition of zero waste, and the definition uh, means designing and managing products and processes to systematically avoid and eliminate the volume and toxicity of waste and to conserve and recover all resources as possible. Um, but really what we're talking about is um, not burning, uh, burning and not burying our precious resources on Earth. So mm-hmm. trying to find strategies um, to uh, reuse, you know, reduce, recycle, and compost and um, eliminates our discards from going to a landfill or to an incinerator. So it's really mm-hmm. redesigning the whole com- concept of waste in our society, and it goes way beyond just recycling. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is something that I'm really excited to hear from you about. We're going to talk about some of the differences and similarities between sort of the recycling world and the zero waste world and how those philosophies come together. But first, let's talk a little bit about the history of the zero waste movement. I always like to know how these things got going. So tell us, how did that movement start and what is the ultimate goal? What's What would be reaching nirvana for the zero waste movement? What would that look like? 
Um, so the history actually started before me. Um, back in the 80s, a group of um, activists and recycling experts um, got together and they uh, from around the world, and they talked about a concept called total recycling. And, um, and this was a concept that making sure that the materials that we do use and consume are 100% recycled. And from that, they realized that if you're just looking at recycling, you're not really focusing on the whole life cycle of a product. And so you need to look at um, the materials that we use, which is anything, a piece of paper, a computer, a chair. Um, and you need to think of it as where did it start? It starts from extracting resources from the earth, and you have to man- manufacture those resources and transport, transport them to you know, retail shops so that the consumer can use them. And so that, and what do we do at the back end of it? Do we recycle it? Do we compost it? Do we send it to um, an incinerator or do we landfill it? So zero waste, um, these experts looked at, no, you know, we need to focus on the entire um, product's chain, not just the end of life of the recycling and what we do with it afterwards. So um, this group then uh, focused on um, zero waste as our strategy for the future and I got to tell you, when I got in this industry 15 years ago, I kind of laughed at the concept of zero waste. And um, now it is coming full circle. We have communities throughout um, California, the United States, and the world who have, are adopting zero waste. We have corporations, um, international corporations, who have adopted zero waste as their business practices. And so these groups of, act- of activists really are the ones who who – who created this change, and mm-hmm. um, these activists are actually still involved in our zero-waste industry, and there's some of um, the, you know, I look, I look to them as you know, leaders and, and role models um, in our community. And give us sort of a snapshot of the future. If, if the zero-waste advocates were successful, how would things be different than they are today? I mean, what what would it look like? Give us a kind of a paint a picture of the, the future of the ultimate goal of zero waste. Well, the ultimate goal is not to burn and bury our precious resources. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, that, that is really the ultimate goal, and, and that's what it would look like. And mm-hmm. um, this isn't a new goal. The first um, city to adopt zero waste as a goal was is in New Zealand, and they adopted this goal in 1996. Uh, San Francisco, um, close to where I live, adopted mm-hmm. um, zero waste as a goal, and their goal is to get to zero waste by 2020. And um, as a city, they currently divert, meaning they currently recycle and compost um, rather than throwing materials in a landfill. So they currently divert um, 78% of the materials that, as a city, they generate. And mm-hmm. so this is the future, is, is you know trying to get as many resources out of the landfill and getting them back into new products or reused back in our society. Mm-hmm. Well, I live close to San Francisco as well. And one of the things that every once in a while we read about is some rural community that doesn't want their garbage. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, there's still a ways to go, even for a community that's put a lot of policies and procedures in place. If you talk to the folks in Wheatland, uh, which is a little bitty hole in the road in California, you know, they're looking at 
potentially, you know, receiving a good sum of money, but they'll be taking, you know, the refuse that uh, can't be dealt with within the city proper of San Francisco um, and and taking that on. So there's still, you know, I mean, it's a great goal. And I think that it's something that we all need to work towards. And I'm anxious to see a community actually become zero waste. And if by 2020 we've got that in San Francisco, I think that'll be fantastic for them and for folks like the ones in Wheatland. Um, you know, I realize that we haven't reached perfection with either zero waste or recycling, but if there were communities that reached 100% perfection with recycling and then a community maybe next door that had reached 100% perfection with zero waste, how would those two models look differently? I mean, kind of help us understand the difference between a town that's just recycling at a 100% rate and a town that is 100% perfect with zero waste. What would they look like and how would they be different? Um, they are actually very different um, because recycling just looks at the end of life of a product. Um, and so you're really just focusing on how do you manage um, the materials that we use and properly put them in a recycling bin or in a compost bin, mm-hmm. where zero waste looks at the whole life cycle of that product. We call it upstream um, mm-hmm. versus downstream. So upstream is, as mentioned, the extraction and the um, manufacturing of a product. That has to be part of a zero waste system. We need to look at, at all um, at, at the waste that's, that's being generated on all um, sides of, of, that, um, of that system. And what we know is that actually a product that we use, 71% of the waste of that product happens before we even touch that product. Mm. And um, so when we're talking about recycling and composting and zero waste, we need to look at, you know, how do we you know, capture that so that we make sure that we you know, use that product or that material uh, efficiently. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So when you're talking about a zero waste community, I mean, that's a much broader set of stakeholders. You're not just dealing with the products as they come off the shelves and then what to do with them when the consumer is done. You're looking at a much more panoramic view and dealing with the front end. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. You know, Waste management is a big, big business in America. I mean, we're talking to the tune of several billion dollars in America. And recycling advocates have really learned to work pretty well within that system. And they've created jobs. And there's a whole economic sector for recycling uh, alongside the waste industry and the producers of common consumer products. I mean, this is how now we see, you know, a lot of consumer products, you turn it over and there's, you know, a number inside the little uh, triangle with arrows so that we can recycle our shampoo bottles and things like that. So recycling advocates have, have really gotten integrated into that waste system. How does the zero waste advocacy community view the current state of affairs in the waste industry in terms of, you know, has has this ultimately been a good thing um, for recycling advocates to be as involved in the waste industry as they are? You, you know, it's really funny about the, the history of the definition of zero waste. And originally, um, zero waste was uh, laughed at and, and mocked at, and, and the waste industry didn't um, give it much um, much focus and, and just stated, you know, it wouldn't, it's not possible. And then as more communities and more corporations started adopting zero waste as their practice, they realized, you know what, we, we actually, if we want to become a player in this industry, we need to start um, 
supporting these corporations and cities in, in zero-waste practices, so we need to be offering some new types of services. And the interesting that thing that's happening in the zero-waste movement is now we're actually finding, um, finding out that, we have to, that we're fighting for the definition of zero-waste, that some industries, um, some, uh, some people within the uh, waste management industry are now redefining the definition of zero-waste and including burning uh, resources as part of zero waste. And so us zero waste advocates strongly are against that definition of zero waste. It's, it's mm. not, um, y- you'll see it called zero waste to landfill, which means that they can supplement um, burning up our resources. And, and the reason why they justify that is because it's, uh, they're creating energy out of the materials that we use. But once you burn a product, it's gone off, it's, it's, you just erased it from our earth. It's, you're never going to get that resource back. So it's never going to be going back into a new product. The other challenge with incinerators is that there is still waste that's left over in an incinerator. It's an ash waste, and it's a very toxic um, material because it's a lot of the hazardous, um, hazardous, hazardous chemicals are still um, within that ash, and so they still have to ship this ash to an ash landfill which the ash gets blown away. These um, tend to be in poorer neighborhoods, located in poorer neighborhoods, and so there still is waste, even if you're going to be incinerating um, our materials. And one other point I want to talk about zero waste is this is all about jobs and job creation. And what we know is that when a community throws away 10,000 tons of solid waste, that equals one job to do that. Mm-hmm. When we are composting 10,000 tons of materials, that equals four jobs. When we are recycling 10,000 tons of materials, that equals 10 jobs. And when we um, reuse 10,000 tons of materials, that equals 75 to 250 jobs. So if we're sending our materials to a landfill or sending our materials to an incinerator, we're essentially bearing and burning our jobs as well. And so this is all about job creation and, and through managing our precious resources properly. Well, and, you know, zero waste is, uh, you know, it kind of pains me that anyone would laugh at it or treat it as impossible. Nothing's impossible, and it's a great goal. In the interim, we've got to figure out good interim solutions. And, you know, when you're talking about toxicity of things that go into the landfill um, or things that might go into, you know, incinerators, boy, we've got to keep the toxics out uh, on the front end until we get to the place where um, we can go to zero waste. And, and that's something that I know that a lot of communities are really working hard on uh, to keep toxic materials, you know, out of their landfills through a number of different programs and to keep toxic materials out of thermal treatment uh, facilities, that's that's a big priority as well. There's a lot of things that a lot of of those uh, waste energy plants won't even take. You can't even bring them in the front door, um, let alone put them into the thermal treatment area. So that's you know that's a lot of that's a lot of work, a lot of management. But if we could keep those toxins out of the products to begin with. How perfect would that be? Mm-hmm. So I like the fact that we're looking at uh, that, that front end. And that's something we're going to talk about in the next segment. We're going to go to a quick commercial break, folks, but don't go away. We are going to have much, much more with Leslie, and we're going to be talking zero waste. So there's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News. 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 Opinion. 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 
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. If you're a golf enthusiast and looking for some great golf properties in the desert southwest, you'll want to make the Golf Realty Network your weekly stop. Hosted by Jane and Al Anderson, the Golf Realty Network is all about living where you play, on the golf side. You'll hear from the course pros and vendors, while the real estate side will bring you the top agents and brokers who know how to market or find your golf community home. Tune in to the Golf Realty Network, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety, and rebroadcast weekly on Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today we are talking zero waste, and we're going to be talking about some specific strategies that businesses, communities, and even individuals um, can take to move towards a more zero waste way of living. And we're joined today by Leslie Lukash. If you're just joining us, she is a, a principal and founder of L2 Environmental. You can check that website out at L2, at number two, environmental.com. And she's also been very involved in an organization called ZWIA, the Zero Waste International Association. And Leslie, I'd like for you to tell our listeners about Zwia. Honestly, I had never heard about it until I heard you mention it at this year's California Resource Recovery Association convention. And I'd love for you to talk to our listeners about this organization so they can learn more about it. Sure. So uh, Zwia is is an organization that's pretty much um, working towards a world without waste through uh, public education and practical... um, Policies and principles, and it's an international group. Uh, we we meet uh, over Skype on a month to month, and we have the only internationally recognized peer to peer zero waste um, definition for zero waste. So we're very active in 
sharing uh, our experiences in zero waste with other uh, countries and so that we can kind of build on each other's experience as well as um, come together and support each other in some of our uh, fights locally um, for anti-incineration or um, just ways to uh, increase zero waste um, practices in each of our communities. We have representatives um, that are from North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Australia, and Africa. And um, it's, it's a great group of people just like me um, doing what they're doing in their own country. And so we also put on um, an annual Zero Waste International Conference. Uh, there was, um, uh, there's been a couple in Brazil. We've um, gone to China, to Switzerland, to Malaysia, Australia, to come together to talk about zero waste and how to move this forward in our society. Um, the next um, Zero Waste International Alliance conference is actually going to be in San Francisco in March. So I welcome everybody to attend if you're in the area or you're super interested in this topic. Um, just go to the Zero Waste International Alliance website and you'll find more information about the next um, annual conference. Great. Now, I like a couple of things that I see, uh, well, a lot of the things that I see on the Zwia website, um, but one of the things that really caught my attention was the zero waste principles for businesses on the website. Mm-hmm. And what I'd like to do is talk about some of them and then ask you to give us some examples of businesses that are doing a great job with these principles so we can hear about these principles in action. First, let's talk about using the precautionary principle. What is the precautionary principle? And give us some real-world examples of businesses that are using it and maybe even some businesses that are not using it. Okay. So the precautionary principle is really um, more of a precautionary approach to, um, to, way, to um, problems that may be causing harm to the environment um, where you don't have 100% scientific consensus. I think a good example of a precautionary principle is came from the smoking industry or um, the tobacco industry. We knew for as a society, we knew for a long time that smoking was um, related had a relationship to lung cancer, but we didn't have 100% of the scientists telling us that um, lung cancer that there is a direct link. Um, sometimes scientists can be paid off by industry or sometimes they are using their own metrics. But we came to a point where, we, where society realized that smoking, from our own scientific evidence, um, that, that there was a direct correlation between the two. So a precautionary approach was taken where we didn't have 100% of the scientists supporting this theory, but we had enough to know that we needed to change the way that um, cigarettes were being marketed in the community to help minimize the harmful risks to the public. Mm -hmm. So that's the same precautionary principle that um, is tied into the environment. Um, This is a very relevant debate in global warming, where you have just about 99% of the world's scientists um, linking greenhouse gas um, emissions to the warming of our Earth, but you do have a percentage of scientists who do not support that. And so people get mixed messages, but we're at a point where we need to take action. We can't wait for the scientific community to be in 100% agreement because there's too much evidence that tells us that um, we are harming the Earth's atmosphere or the Earth's um, temperature by the amount um, of greenhouse gas 
um, mm-hmm. emissions that we are um, that are you know put into the atmosphere. So um, this is also ties to zero waste. We know that we have a finite number of resources on this earth. We actually consume four to five times the earth's resources than we have today, and that is not sustainable. We have to have better practices to manage our resources. So we can't wait until the rainforest is gone. We can't wait until, you know, the earth is mined of various um, metals and, and materials because we just, we know we're consuming at a rate that's way too fast. So we have to be precautionary um, and design systems so that we can conserve those resources and make um, them more sustainable when we use them. So let's say I'm a business that wants to create packaged goods, like a a package of cookies or something. I'm a little hungry, so I'm thinking of cookies. Uh, How do I employ the precautionary principle in the manufacturing, creation, packaging, and marketing, whatever, all the everything encompassed, how do I employ the precautionary principle with my package of cookies I want to sell? Okay, this is great. Um, so you have some cookies that are sold in foil mm-hmm. and maybe in little plastic, and the cookies sit in little plastic containers. Or you have other cookies that are sold in a cardboard box that's made out of recycled content that can be recycled on the back end. That foil, we can't do anything with it. It it has to go to a landfill or it has to be incinerated. There is no recycling system for for foil. So, So if you're a corporation and you want to be green, you really need to look at your packaging and and choose the, the best system so that we could actually... Um, recycle it at a minimum on the back end. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and this is this kind of leads us into extended producer responsibility rules. And a lot of people are beginning to hear EPR, extended producer responsibility, but they're generally um, the folks actually within corporate America who are beginning to, to hear this trend. But talk to us, you know, as just everyday people about what that means, what extended producer responsibility is, and what communities might be able to do to enact those kinds of rules so that they can encourage the businesses who want to sell things in their communities to do exactly what you said, to think through every phase of their products. So extended producer responsibility, or um, I'll just call it EPR from now on, EPR means whoever designs, produces, sells, or uses the product um, takes the primary responsibility for minimizing its environmental impact through all stages of um, that product's life. So Mm -hmm. it's a shared approach to managing materials. Under our current system in America, waste is managed through um, ratepayers and taxpayers. That's who pays for the end of life. For example, um, at my home, I have three bins, and I pay for that system. Also, the my local city is the city who created the financial mechanism to manage that system. But the producer of that product bears no responsibility at the end of life of that product. But we do have some very problematic and challenging products in our um, community. This could be some of the chemicals that you just mentioned, batteries, sharps, pharmaceuticals, um, you know, compact fluorescent lights. Mm -hmm. So when we have those products, we're supposed to take them to a hazardous waste facility that our local community 
pays to um, set up. They're very, very, very expensive, and um, we all know that uh, cities are struggling with budgets, And but the producers of those products don't help pay for the end, the proper disposal. So we're left with this hazardous material. Um, I mean, I don't know how many of the listeners um, on this radio program, but think about if you've ever thrown a battery away. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go away. There's lots of hazardous material in that, and if it goes into a landfill, we do know that within time landfills leak into our water system. So all those chemicals that we are using goes into the landfill and has a potential to leak into our, our water system. So EPR looks at having the producers help manage these systems because they're creating mm-hmm. it, so let's help them have a solution for us. And um, this is not a new concept at all. Many countries in Europe have very expansive EPR systems. Um, Canada has very extensive EPR systems. And these corporations that sell products right across the border from us, they're actually financially bearing the cost to properly dispose of materials in Canada, but they're not doing it here. So let me give you just one quick example, and that would be pharmaceuticals in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And in British Columbia, at the point of purchase, which is the pharmacy, um, where you get your drugs, you, there is a blue bin there. And so when you um, have expired drugs or if that drug didn't work with your body or it's not um, doing what it's supposed to do, you have a reason to dispose of it. So at the point of purchase in British Columbia, you can go bring that drug right back to the pharmacy and put it in the blue bin, and it's the producer, it's the pharmaceutical industry that actually pays for the proper disposal of that product. And so these are philosophies that we're trying to expand um, here in California. We Mm -hmm. do have product stewardship um, legislation for carpet, for um, uh, for batteries, and for paints. And so we are making strides um, in extended producer responsibility. Um, It's actually being discussed on a national level right now where you have corporations are coming together with um, activists, with community Mm -hmm. leaders, to really solve this that, because we do know that they need to be a part of the solution, that they just right. can't keep giving us um, products. And the, the great thing that happens um, when producers get involved, uh, an example in um, California is the computer industry. Well, and I want to talk more about that in just a moment. I want to talk about the computer industry in California, and I want to talk about an EPR situation in Alameda County with pharmaceuticals. And we're Mm -hmm. going to do that in just a couple minutes. We're going to go to a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to dig into the nitty-gritty of a couple of case studies where communities actually have been able to successfully implement these extended, extended producer responsibility rules. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. 
the bottom line in business talk. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you happen to just be tuning in, no worries. Um, we are going to have an archived broadcast up in just a little while after this uh, episode uh, is, is finished. And you can download it on iTunes. You can download it to your MP3 player and listen to it a little bit later. Send it as a link to all your friends. This is an episode worth saving. We have Leslie Lukash with us. She is... Um, all fired up about zero waste. She's got me all fired up about zero waste. We've been talking about extended producer responsibility. In other words, the companies that are creating um, materials and products that we buy, bearing some responsibility for the end of life um, cost, basically. I mean, I, there's no other way to say it. The, the cost of doing whatever needs to be done at the end of the life of the product. And right before we went to commercial break, we were talking about um, the computer industry and, and how the state of California has worked with that industry to create an extended producer responsibility set of guidelines and rules. And Leslie, I'd love for you to enumerate on that. Tell us more. Um, so for electronics, in California, we actually have um, um, a government-managed program for our electronics and it's through an advanced recycling fee. So what that means is when you go buy an electronics um, uh, computer, you actually pay a fee. I'm not exactly sure on the amount, but I want to guess it's around like 6 or $7. Mm -hmm. And you pay that amount, and that amount goes into a system that the government, um, that the state of California has helped set up to properly manage the end of life of that product. And the interesting thing is because we now have this system in California to properly manage these electronics, 
Um, many computer companies are taking back electronics. And one of the great examples of this, of when you get of you, when you get producers involved, is that one computer company took back their product and they decided to start disassembling them and and salvaging them um, at their plant. And when they took back their computers, they realized that there's 19 different types of screws to hold that computer together. <laughs> So the computer in, um, company um, decided to make that product for disassembly so that it was easier to extract the resources that was within that computer. And so now that computer only has two screws instead of 19. And so when you get producers involved in the end of life of their product, then they start to realize how to redesign for being green. Interesting. You know, now there's been another um, instance here where I live in Alameda County in California where uh, – they have instituted some EPR rules around pharmaceuticals. Now, before we go into this, um, you know, this is a case study where a very, a fairly small local government um, entity has taken on a huge industry, and there may be consequences for that. However, for those who think, those who are in local government or state government, and you think, oh my gosh, we've got to have a national solution before we can, you know, institute extended producer responsibility rules. This case study says maybe not so much. Now, one of the things before I have you talk about this, Leslie, that I think is really important is in contrast to the electronics situation in California where uh, consumers pay an upfront fee. We don't want people having to pay even more for their pharmaceuticals. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a lot of low-income folks. We're talking about senior citizens. So this is a, a slightly different model, and I'd like for you to talk about how it, it's going to work, Leslie. Um, well, to be honest, I haven't fully um, read the Alameda County pharmaceutical ban. I'm, I'm certainly aware of it, and, and it is an amazing um, situation where local government, I believe it's the first in the United States to actually it stand is. up to the um, pharmaceutical company and say that you, as our city policy, if you're going to sell pharmaceuticals in our community, you need to help share the end-of-life cost of that pharmaceutical product. And and so I, don't, I, mm-hmm. I haven't heard if there's been pushback from the pharmaceutical industry, but yeah. there are certainly aware that this is coming down the pipeline. Al- many other communities are going to follow um, Alameda County's lead on this. Um, pharm- actually, the pharmaceutical company did a pilot with um, the city and county of San Francisco last year, and I believe they gave the city and county of San Francisco about $100,000 to help set up a recycling system specific to pharmaceuticals. So that was the first voluntary approach um, that the pharmaceutical company is um, is taking, and then now we're seeing legislative legislative on the local level for mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals. Um, a great organization in California um, called the California Product Stewardship Council is really the council that we need to thank for getting many of these um, EPR legislation um, on at the local level as well on the state level. They are in the trenches. They are doing presentations at city council meetings so um, that um, council members and our community leaders are aware that these producers are, are help, they, that they do help share the cost in other countries, just not in ours to the degree yet. And so we're, we're really seeing a lot of shift and change in EPR. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I think pharmaceuticals is a great example of extended producer responsibility. I mean, you know, not long ago there was a study done of several fresh waterways in America, and 100% of the waterways that were studied, and it was all over the country, showed trace amounts of pharmaceuticals. And, you know, for a long time everybody was talking about, well, if you don't need all your drugs or if you're finished with them, flush them down the toilet. But the toilet is not a trash can, and so there's been a real uh, – a, a real push to find the right solution. And of course, the EPA has said the only real and safe solution for discarded pharmaceuticals is incineration. And so that's where, you know, our energy from waste facilities have been very, very helpful, even to the extent that a lot of pharmaceutical companies use them with their own uh, manufacturing waste, pharmaceutical manufacturing waste. And so, uh, but the problem is, is that if you rely upon the communities, um, to, to bear that cost, that can be very unwieldy. And, and having the pharmaceutical companies, um, bear some of that and share some of that responsibility is a great thing. I kind of like to shift gears a little bit, sure. Leslie, and talk about zero waste principles for communities. We've mm-hmm. kind of, we've talked about businesses and what they can do. Um, but Zuia has some, some principles that communities can um, employ. And one of the things that I I think is so interesting um, is talking about engaging the whole community. And I think it's it's kind of a tough nut to crack because, let's face it, talking about waste is probably one of the last things that everyday citizens want to discuss. I'd never hear discussions about zero waste on the soccer field, but, you know, it could happen. And you I'm just don't? Wondering... I hear it all the time. Well, it that's because they, they've got you pegged, Leslie. Yeah. <laughs> they've got you pegged. For me, you know, a lot of my friends know I'm an energy geek. And so if anybody wants to talk solar and that kind of stuff, um, they talk to me. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm wondering if you've got some solutions, some great local leaders that have good examples of how to make zero waste a hot topic in the community. Are there some cool PR strategies that you've seen? Um, actually, when communities write and prepare zero waste plans, um, getting the community involved in that plan is a huge part of writing that plan. Um, we have probably 20, I'd say, um, cities within the state of California that actually have adopted zero waste as their goal and have written some type of plan to get to zero waste. I'm currently working with the city of Pasadena on their zero waste plan. And when we write these plans, we hold stakeholder workshops, and we focus them um, for both the business community as well as the residential community. And we share with them some of the principles and the vision of zero waste, but we, we, we want to hear them communicate back to us more than us communicating our message to them because we want this to be real in that community. And so we need to hear from all these stakeholders so that we can write and prepare a zero-waste plan that is specific to that particular community and that community's needs. So really engaging, the, I mean, you can't get to zero-waste without educating um, the community on what materials are and what resources are. I, I actually, besides the word zero-waste, I hate using the word waste in the way that I talk because to me, it's not waste. It's a resource. I, I look at the materials mm-hmm. we use, and I see it as, you know, I can break it down to say, oh, okay, that came from aluminum ore or, or bauxite in the, in the aluminum can, or, you know, that, that chair has, is made with very, you know, all different types of materials. So trying to communicate that back to the residents and the businesses so that they can make, you know, green choices when they're purchasing and that they can um, help support legislation, if it's like EPR legislation, um, we get the community involved in bans. Um, California has been very active in, in bag bans, 
as well as styrofoam bands. Um, styrofoam can be recycled. It's just difficult to recycle uh, because it, it tends to be contaminated with um, food resin on, on the styrofoam, which makes it now um, something that you have to throw away. But what we find with styrofoam and with plastic bags is that they're entering into our waterways, which eventually go to our oceans. And styrofoam is the number two plastic material that's in our oceans right now. And um, that is a very, um, managing plastics properly is a very, um, you know, is a very hot topic where we need the community to be, to be involved to help pass these bans and um, provide better solutions for um, our, as consumers to use uh, more green products that don't um, detriment our environment and our oceans. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I think you're right. I mean, some of these things, I mean, when you talk about a plastic bag ban, you are going to get people's attention because all of a sudden they realize, hey, guess what? Every time I go to the grocery store, I've got to bring my own bag. That gets people's attention for sure. And there are some positive ways of presenting that to the community where you can show exactly that. We are going to make a difference. See all of this, you know, yucky stuff out in our oceans. Um, you know, see it in our, our waterways. If for those who don't live near an ocean, you live near a river or stream, there are very few that aren't impacted by this kind of discarded material. And you can say, look, we're going to make a difference. We're going to make this better for our kids. And that's always a, a powerful strategy. We've got to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to tap into Leslie's experience helping to green and helping to create more zero waste oriented events and venues so don't go away folks there's more go green radio right after this talk 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 that's all we do is talk If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you're with us. I want to give a quick shout out to all my tweeps out there. You guys are great. I love it when you guys listen in and when you uh, send me your thoughts on the show. If you want to follow me, uh, my handle is at Jill Buck, J-I-L-L-B-U-C-K. So get on there and uh, send me a tweet. You can also email me at gogreenradio at gmail.com. Love to hear your feedback. If you're just tuning in, we've been joined today by Leslie Lukash. She is just an explosion of awesome information about zero waste. I'm so excited about it. I'm thinking about, you know, all the things that I could be doing, even just around my own household, to move towards zero waste. It's been a really great conversation. And Leslie has over 15 years of experience in helping various venues and events go green. And I'd really like for you, Leslie, to talk about some of your favorite case studies. Let's talk about how these venues have, you know, they, a lot of them have a lot of waste. I mean, there's a number of different venues we've worked with. How do you help these places go towards zero waste? Um, the movement is really just taking off right now, which is ex- so exciting to me for as for being in this industry as long as I have. And venues and events, you know, those are a place where people go to have fun, and it's a place where you where a city demonstrates what's best about their community or their culture and um and it's a place where the community interacts directly with its members of the community and it's a place also where a, a lot of single use items are generated so they tend to generate a lot of waste but um you know I started just with recycling programs um in the beginning with you know bottles and cans and cardboard but I, I got to tell you, for the last three, four, even five years, I'm, I'm really now working with primarily getting venues and events to go towards zero waste. Um, and I've worked with, you know, the NFL. I've worked with um, NFL stadiums. I've worked with college stadiums, um, theme parks, community events. Um, all, I, I can, the list goes on. Music festivals, um, you know, music centers, uh, that type of thing. Um, that, you know, interesting, interestingly enough, some of the world's largest events, um, like the London Olympics, that uh-huh. had a zero-waste goal. Um, FIFA, the World Cup, also has a zero-waste goal in Brazil um, that's going to be happening in two years. And I'm going um, back to Brazil for a third time to talk with some of the stadiums that are wanting to go zero-waste but don't really know how yet because it's not as advanced in Brazil as it is here. So I'll be back in Brazil in October and March to help some of these stadiums um, go for go to zero waste in preparation for the World Cup and and then the Olympics happening two years after after the World Cup. Do you need an assistant or anything? Because I'd be happy <laughs> to come along. Really, I would. Maybe Seriously. I'm going to carry my bags. <laughs> That's right. I'll hand out your business cards, whatever you need. Now, what's the difference between a stadium that recycles well and a stadium that moves towards zero waste? I mean, what's the difference? The difference is I I kind of quote-unquote, like to say this, if you design the input, you design the output. If you can design the materials that are coming into your stadiums to be used and consumed, then you can control what type of system you want on the back end to, to uh, capture those materials. So many stadiums are 
you know, that, that are interested in zero waste are moving to a two-bin system, meaning that a bin is only, only two bins are available to the consumer or the event attendee, one for recycling and one for organics. But what that means is that stadium has to purchase products that are either recyclable or compostable. And that's the biggest shift is if you design the input to be recycled and composted, you can design the output to be zero waste. Interesting. So that would mean that any anything that food is wrapped in or packaged in or served in would have to be compostable as well, correct, right? Correct. Yeah. Instead of using, um, I don't know, let's um, plastic plates, move to paper plates um, mm-hmm. because at least those can be composted. Where once the food touches the plastic, then it's a little bit more challenging to recycle. Some mm-hmm. great examples of this is Ohio State University. Um, they have a zero-waste football stadium, um, and that stadium is probably one of the largest stadiums that I'm aware of. I think it seats over 110,000 people, and it's a two-bin system. Uh, Boulder, Colorado also only has two bins for their stadium. UC Davis is a zero-waste um, stadium as well, and I'm working with the Rose Bowl on um, zero-waste um, initiatives as well. So it's, it's so really cool. taking off. Again, if you need an assistant, I'm all I'm all about that. I'm really helpful. That's so cool, Leslie. That's really really neat. Now I know that you are a board member of the California Resource Recovery Association, and they have a certification process that helps people that want to be a part of this world. They want to do that kind of work. Uh, get involved. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So the California Resource Recovery Association is our state's um, largest um, industry association around recycling organics. Um, collection and zero waste. And so we've developed a uh, certification program for uh, people who, you know, they can be recent graduates, they can be people who are employed but in a different industry, or just people who are within our industry who want to become certified as a resource management specialist. Mm -hmm. And so it's really a way for people to transition um, into this industry. We, you Do they know, have to be California residents? I mean, like, let's we have listeners all over the country. If you live in Iowa and you really want to do this, is this something that you need to get your state recycling organization to, to do something similar, or can you still get involved or still go through the process for the CRRA? There are other states that have a similar uh, uh, certification, but um, good question because we're looking to launch this national. Um, there's an organization called the um, Recycling Association um, of North America, um, mm-hmm. as well as the National Recycling Coalition, and they're looking to take um, this CRRA um, certification model as well as other state models and make it a national certification. And so actually CRRA, we're in the talks of developing our program to be all um, webinar-based, so it doesn't mm-hmm. matter where you live, that you can actually get this um, certification, and so this will just help people get jobs and, and you know, finally be able to cross over if, if you're interested in working in the environmental field or in the resource management field. Now you have something at the end of, the, of your name that says, yes, I'm actually becoming an expert in this, in this field. That's fantastic. Well done. You know, in the couple minutes that we have left, I want you to talk to everybody from 
party hosts to PTA moms to, uh, you know, people out there who are thinking, okay, here comes Halloween. And before we know it, I'm going to be throwing holiday parties either in the classroom or at home or maybe at my office space. How, give us a few tips on how to create zero waste events, you know, even in our day to day lives, you know, if, if we're going to throw a Halloween party for our kids classroom, how can we make it a zero waste event? Um, well, first focus on reuse. Um, as much as possible, you know, if, if you are able to make uh, the plates, the cups, you know, silverware, anything you use, if anything you use, if it's reusable, then that's um, the first thing I would focus on is, mm-hmm. is trying. And the second thing is not if it's going to be have to if it's going to just create trash and it's going to have to go in landfill. Do you really need that product, or can you substitute it with something else? Um, for example, like uh, when when I work with conventions. This is so small, but, you know, this is the type of stuff that I look at. But, you know, and sometimes at the speaker table, they have little candies that are wrapped up in plastic. Well, mm-hmm. does the speaker really need that candy? Do we really need it at our event? No, because we don't really need to create that waste in the first place. So mm-hmm. take a look at your event and just think, you know, do I really need that product? And if I do, can I substitute it with something that's, that's more green? And like I said, designing, if you control the input, you can control the output. If you can design it to be green and design um, products that can be recycled and composted on the back end, then you can design your event to be zero waste. And the Perfect. other key is educating the public, um, whether that's through signage, whether it's making an announcement. Um, you know, uh, you know. For example, my my child's um, four-year-old birthday party. You mm-hmm. know, I already have two kids. We have lots of toys, and so I decided to send in my invitation through Evite, which creates uh-huh. trash. But I also said, um, you know, instead of buying something new, something pre-loved um, was acceptable. And I wanted to, and I asked that if it was something that's pre-loved, have your child pick it, um, <laughs> something that they don't want anymore, whether it's a book or, or whatever it might be. And uh-huh. um, then they, they're part of the action of being green and, and part it. of reuse. And I certainly don't need another plastic toy in my house. <laughs> you know, I have three kids. So Absolutely. I totally you know, relate. Reinforce the message to the younger generation. Yep. Well, you know what, Leslie? It's been such a pleasure to have you on Go Green Radio. You had so many great ideas for businesses, for communities, and right down to, you know, something we can all relate to, which is, you know, throwing a party at our house and how we can institute and work towards these zero-waste principles. Love it. Thanks so much for joining us. Next week on Go Green Radio, we're going to have a documentary filmmaker who has created a new movie called Vegucation. We're going to be talking about why she's a vegan and three people who were totally committed to carnivorism. <laughs> love their bacon, love their meat. They went, they did an experiment to become vegans for six weeks. We're going to find out what happened to them, what they learned, and talk to the filmmaker next week. So don't miss that episode of Go Green Radio. Everybody have a great week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.